Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. The two sessions, China's biggest annual political meetings, consisting of the annual plenary sessions of the National People's Congress, China's Parliament, and the National Committee of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference, the CPPCC, a political advisory body, were held in Beijing from March 4 to March 11, 2022. They generally offer a window into the central government's priorities and plans for the country. The main outcomes of this year's meetings include ambitious growth targets of 5.5% of GDP growth, a focus on stability amid international turbulence, meaning the war in Ukraine, a refocus on energy security rather than emission reductions, an increase in defense spending by 7.1%, as well as changes to laws governing local people's congresses and governments, as well as the rules for MPC elections in Hong Kong and Macau. My name is Johannes Heller-Jon, and I'm joined by a colleague who follows Chinese domestic policies, especially climate policies, very closely, Nis Greenberg, lead analyst at Merricks. Welcome to the podcast, Nis. Thanks, Johannes. Happy to be here. The annual GDP growth target for 2022 was set at around 5.5%. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, GDP growth data has been very volatile in the last quarters. The target is, however, above market expectations of 49 to 5.2%. What do you make of this? Well, the 5.5% growth target is indeed relatively high and is maybe not surprising to people who follow this for a long time because there needs to be a kind of show of force and, and of, of steadiness and development. But it is nevertheless a really ambitious target and uh, one that will be very hard to achieve. So Li Keqiang in his work report already mentioned this. You know, he, he said that in order to achieve this, this target, it will require arduous efforts. So I, I think the uh, leadership knows that this is a very difficult task, but it, it nevertheless has chosen to kind of show a, a, a forceful signal that for this year, stability is really on the radar and a lot of measures will probably come out to stabilize growth and to, to support businesses. This has already happened to some degree over the last couple of days after the NPC. For example, just two days ago, Liu He, one of the main guys uh, in the leadership for economic policymaking, he came out and, and, and said um, that a number of policies supporting businesses will come on the table. And also a number of issues that led to some jitters in the business sector, for example, property tax and, and so on. They've been taken off the table for now because for this year, it is really important that stability and a relatively stable growth is maintained. Of course, one of the targets is to have a, a stable year, a good year before the 20th Party Congress, during which Xi Jinping will be uh, most likely enthroned for a third term. So. I think that the signal is very clear. The government is, is pro-business for this year and a lot of flexibility and support mechanism can be expected. Talking about stability, does the war in Ukraine and its international fallout impede on the government's focus on stability during the two sessions and ahead of the party congress later this year? First of all, the, the two sessions are, are quite domestic uh, events. So it, it's natural that Ukraine and uh, international affairs are not really at the forefront of the discussions and of the issues that are discussed. Of course, in the background, the Ukraine looms extremely large also over the debates in China. And of course, it has a, a at least a potential extremely high impact on uh, Chinese growth, on its relations 
And that's very high stakes when it comes to where China will put its loyalties. You know, will it support uh, Russia as it suffers from international sanctions? Will it be a little bit more leaning towards supporting the Western approach to Russia? It's extremely difficult for China to find its own position. And of course, that is visible in the NPC uh, kind of hesitancy or the the, the remarks around the NPC, which really were very hesitant uh, in, in terms of where the Chinese position was, was was communicated. I think going forward, there's a lot of concern about, for example, food supply. You know, China's an importer of, of grains, both from the Ukraine, but also from the US. So there's a lot of risk, regardless where China puts its loyalty. And that is going forward is, of course, a very big risk for the Chinese leadership. And one of the issues that, for example, at the NPC also were touched upon as really central are food security. So I think this whole crisis around Ukraine and the, the shocks it will have on supply, on, on, on trade and so on, will only underscore the impression or the, the, the target of the leadership in China that self-sufficiency and especially being self-sufficient on essential goods such as food and energy will become even more important for this year or going forward. For this year, I think stability again is, um, as I said before, is the key. So I would be surprised if China will put its loyalty to either, you know, the, the Western bloc or Russia very clearly. I think they are trying as long as possible to kind of keep in the middle and not be too overly reliant or too overly committed to one of the uh, either sides, even though they share some strategic targets or some strategic concerns about American hegemony with the Russians, they are so intertwined and so integrated through trade and, and supply chains with the West. It's extremely difficult for China to find its own position here in a, in a sustainable way. Unlike in previous years, China is not setting any numerical target to reduce energy intensity in 2022. Xi Jinping, as reported by the South China Morning Post, called for a realistic approach to achieving the country's carbon neutrality goals when addressing deputies from the coal-rich Inner Mongolia. He said China's green transition could not be achieved overnight and the region's coal-dominated energy structure was unlikely to change fundamentally in the short term. Does this focus on energy security over emission reductions put the country's climate goals into jeopardy? I think that the the current uh, movement to at least continue to bet a little bit on more on coal than some people would have hoped. And in, in general, on fossil fuel, the, you know, the acknowledgement that 60% of China's energy still comes from coal and, and fossil fuel is a very important source, not only for, for power and energy, but also for jobs and for growth. So I think it's, you know, the, the signal that flexibility, as it has been called, will be kind of the motto for this year, is really just reflecting the need for the leadership to kind of have a stable growth. I, I see it as a tactical retreat more than a change of the strategy. I think the it's also very clear, uh, visible in, in both the, the work report, but also in, you know, comments and speeches around the NPC, also in the uh, National Development and Reform Commission's report that was presented to the National People's Congress, so that the main planning body, very clear commitment in principle to the 2030 and 2060 targets of reaching uh, peak emissions and, uh, and peak neutrality. So the strategy to decarbonize and kind of change the economic model towards a more sustainable one is not from the table. It's more a tactical retreat. Uh, it's not happening this year because there's too much uncertainty, there's too much risk and too little growth, you know, if, if we do this right now. 
so that that is on on the bad side you know a, a kind of a stronger reliance on on coal also it has to be said that last year china was quite shocked because of you know a sudden electricity shortage which was based on uh, regulatory problems that came you know high demand of of power low inventories uh, of coal and a very bad pricing structure so a lot of regulatory issues that still need need to be be solved in china for the electricity market to function more efficiently that cannot happen overnight that is what china is saying now is not off the table but for now reliability and energy security are more important i think on the good side there have been some reiterations that china will build massive amounts of renewable energy so the target is 100 gigawatt per year in wind and solar until 2025 that means essentially that the equal amount of 4 to 500 coal power plants uh, will be built until then just in renewable energy so china's trying to bet on on both horses you know on sustainability by just ramping up the the, the capacities uh, and the uh, the industry of renewable energy but also dealing with its own type of just transition not trying to lose uh, all the jobs in the fossil fuel industry trying to make you know use of the of the growth that it still delivers and trying to have a stable uh, energy system for now and and it's going to be difficult to pull off the the transition towards sustainable energy more so as we go forward you know these are problems that are now just pushed down the road the canisters kicked down the road now i think it's uh, you know depending on where where the whole crisis in in the ukraine and the global trade and and resource flows how they will be impacted will will probably be important for the next one or two years uh, in terms of how china will be able to move ahead in its sustainable transition Li Keqiang also announced that carbon emissions will now be measured not by points of GDP but by amount of metric tons. Is that also a tactical change, or does that just make sense in, in comparison to to what they're trying to achieve? Well, the the overall goal is to move away from energy intensity, uh, you know, year by year, which means that you know how how much energy do you need to produce growth in the medium term, move towards capping emissions. So this is probably going to happen over the next years rather than uh, weeks or months but but the strategy really is to move away from annual targets of energy intensity and introduce some sort of an emission counting mechanism for the next year. So it, it was also underscored that the the um, flexibility that we talked about before is also the logic for for this and the local governments and SOEs and so on who are evaluated according to how they you know how they implement five year plans for example and annual development plans they have now to to look for the five year plans targets as the main targets so there's flexibility for you know meeting the annual targets for for example energy efficiency energy intensity but as long as you stick to the five year plan target you're good so this gives industry a little bit more flexibility to react to to these crises which is you know good from an um, industry perspective but is is also kind of giving a bit more leeway in terms of having a little bit more coal in the mix for this year for example a majority of the parliament greenlighted a draft budget that foresees a 7.1 increase in the military budget which is the largest uptick in chinese defense spending in the last three years in comparison the total spending is expected to grow by only 3.9% so it outgrows the total growth of the budget was this increase to be expected uh, or is it influenced by recent international events what what do you think 
I think, you know, Xi Jinping has uh, for since he's been in power, really uh, had a very strong focus on modernizing the military. So I'm not really surprised by this number. I, I think Xi Jinping wants a wants a smaller but a better military and he wants it wants it to be combat ready. So it's only natural that there's a relatively high military spending. And I mean, we have to remember it's still only, I think, one third or so of the U.S. So it's it's relatively small compared to that. But of course, the growth is relatively fast. It's probably also wise not to take the the military budget at face value. There's a, you know, a ton of other ways that, um, for example, through state enterprises who are in the defense sector, through fiscal measures to the you know the financial system there's a ton of other ways that budgets and 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 resources can flow through to military um, modernization another probably as important item is the spending on domestic security which is not the military budget which is as high or even higher as the, the military budget so china spends a lot on on security on on the on its military and i think the ukraine crisis i mean it wasn't need as need as a trigger but but certainly having a modern army that is that is uh, you know capable and, and and ready to not only defend but probably also you know have a have a power projection into the south china seas and and so on that is on the agenda and i think xi jinping has been very clear in saying that when the army's uh, 100th anniversary in 2027 comes if he wants a, a very strong and, and, and you know modern army. So these numbers will come out the next couple of years also. The National People's Congress also approved four pieces of legislation, a set of major amendments to the laws governing the local people's congresses and governments. It's called the Organic Law of the Local People's Congresses at all levels and local people's governments at all levels. That will be the first such amendment in over two decades. Also a decision regarding the elections of delegates to the next MPC, to the next National People's Congress. And then there were two measures for electing the embassy delegates from Hong Kong and Macau, respectively. Are these legal changes important? What is your take on them? The organic law is quite important. It's, it's maybe not as important for the, you know, the average person in Europe. But I think what is important is to, to put them a little bit into the context of the codification of party norms under Xi Jinping. So in itself is not as important, but it is indicative of a trend that I think we should follow more closely. So the organic law is the law where the organization of the government is, is put down. So it tells how local governments are, you know, are organized and how governance functions at local levels. It also exists, of course, at, um, you know, the, at, at central level, but it is really the law that, that organizes the government. What has been changed now, what has been altered, is that there's a, a more clear focus on the role of party leadership for local government. So essentially saying local governments need to be more aware, if they hadn't, uh, haven't received that message yet, of party leadership. And I think that the context that I referred to before is really that China is, the Xi Jinping leadership is trying to make party leadership a core of all governance processes and of the entire organization of how the party state functions as a system. I think another concept that has been thrown around very, very much during the NPC is full process democracy. Uh, and, and it links a little bit into, into this whole discourse. I think full process democracy should probably be, un, be understood in, in two ways. One is 
that the party wants to communicate that it serves the people. You know, this is a very old kind of slogan, you know, serving the people is, is what the party is there for. So the concept builds both on the CCP's long-standing self-image of having as its ultimate goal um, to make things better for the people. That's what we call performance legitimacy, right? But it is also kind of a communication to those that see China and China sees itself in, in, in such a, a struggle with the West. So, you know, China wants to communicate to its people that, yes, we also have democracy. And in fact, we have the superior form of democracy. You know, look at the chaos in the US and so on. That was at least the line before on, on, on Corona. Now it might shift a little bit as China is itself battling with Omicron. But nevertheless, I, I think this picture of China that the party wants to communicate that we have democracy on our own terms. And in the struggle with Western democracies, we are actually doing much better. The other way in which this is very important to understand, you know, this concept of full process democracy is within this framework of uh, party ideology and especially its Leninist roots. So to me, at least, this concept of full process democracy is related to another concept that the party is uh, using a lot uh, these days or stressing a little bit more, including in the organic law, for example, and that is democratic centralism. So democratic centralism is, the, is a concept that describes that the central leadership takes decisions and the entire system then has to follow these decisions. So the process is uh, in the center deliberating on decisions, but once they have taken, they are orders for everyone to follow. And that is, of course, the, uh, the ideal uh, type form, right? Uh, the leadership that um, is made of by, by well-meaning and capable officials that take decisions that they know best how to do, and everyone then follows the decisions throughout the party state system. But once a decision is made in this central, in this democratic centralist uh, system, it has to be obeyed. And before she, there was an understanding that at the central level, at least, the standing committee of the Politburo, there was a degree of collective leadership among these members, the, the, the nine men sitting in the standing committee. And these guys would then discuss policy and once agreed, the decision would be communicated and everyone would have to follow. And, and she has kind of put a stop to that. Because if you take democratic centralism and the other thing that has happened on Xi, which is that she has you know, been heavily pushing himself as the core of the party, then you have a situation in which the center takes decisions, everybody has to follow, but the center is now only one person, which is Xi Jinping. So also along the NPC, you had these two party concepts of the two establishes or the two safeguards, which basically mean she is the core and Xi Jinping is the guiding ideology and she is really the core of the central party leadership. So together, I think it, it, it's a very clear indication. And this is clear in the organic law. This is why, you know, the context in, in which we have to see this, the central leadership makes decision, the central leadership equals she and everybody has to follow. So for local levels who are now, you know, put on the spot by this law, they know that this is a marching order. When Beijing takes decisions, we have to follow. And, you know, they have now also uh, a lot of tools, uh, legal tools. It's legalized now. It's codified now to discipline people who are not following Xi Jinping thought. So I, I think it's, it's a concerning development in which you have party leadership, in which you have Xi Jinping leadership and the central role of Xi as really the chairman for everything codified in the legal code of China. And that's something we have to accept as being very instrumental and very important to see ahead of the 20th Party Congress, 
that's what we are seeing now also at the NPC. So that makes the extension of Xi Jinping's term later this year all but an inevitability, right? I don't think that anyone who has been watching China over the past months and years believes that she will not take a third term later this year. And quite frankly, with the codification of Xi Jinping thought and of Xi as the core of the party and so on, you know, codification essentially means that all these things, all these uh, kind of phrases, um, these concepts are put into the body of laws that govern China. It's essentially legalizing and, and you know, formalizing, institutionalizing his leadership throughout the legal sector. It's a significant change in which you have legality for personal leadership almost. And, you know, he might use it or not, but it's remarkable how systematic this has been done over the past years. The main takeaways that we discussed now were all done at the NPC, but at the same time happened the CPPCC that we mentioned in the introduction. Nis, could you quickly explain what the consultative conference is doing and, and what its role is? The CPPCC is quite important to the party. It's not really um, a relevant decision-making conference or it doesn't really have a lot of political power. But I think it's important as kind of a window for the party to show, look, we are actually democratic. We take consulting the people seriously. So the consultative conference gathers a lot of different constituencies, social groups, you know, minorities, uh, business people, famous people, and so on. And they can suggest changes to law and they can raise issues. So it is quite important, probably still, even though less so than before, for the leadership to kind of take a temperature on the population, to, to take the temperature on, on different social constituencies, but doesn't really have a lot of power. It, it is also interestingly used for Xi Jinping to, because it starts one day before the National People's Congress, to give a speech that in essence already outlines the theme for the NPC also. So, you know, he kind of hijacks uh, the, the CPPCC to already dominate the NPC before the premier takes, you know, the stage on, on the day after. But it doesn't really have a lot of uh, political power. It is more kind of a show that, yes, we have democratic participation, we have consultative mechanisms, we have ways of, you know, all the different types of social constituencies that we have to be part of the process uh, of governance. So in, in that it is interesting and you have a, a couple of uh, you know discussions going on at the sidelines. This year was very uh, timid, I have to say. There's not a lot of interesting information, probably also because it is so close in China, very, very few foreign delegates, you know, COVID restrictions and so on, fewer and fewer media outlets being present in China. So it's very limited in terms of what we get in actual uh, and interesting insights to the discussions that are taking place. But yes, it is, uh, of course, very often forgotten by foreign observers, but it, it, I think it has a quite important function for the party as this showcase for, you know, participatory and consultative mechanisms that the party tries to maintain, even though everything is now organized around the core of the party, Xi Jinping. Thank you for paying close attention to the developments and thank you for your time and insightness. Thanks, Johannes. And to everyone, thank you for listening. Hear you next time. Goodbye. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.